We are beginning a new series today, and I'm quite excited about it, and it is a series on uh, the blood of Christ, uh, and the power of the blood, and faith in the blood, and coming by the blood, and so Christianity happens to be a very bloody religion. It's not really religion, it's a relationship. When we say that, we don't mean like we're going on crusades and killing a bunch of people. There's other religions that like to do that. Uh, that's not us. But there is blood shed in the Christian faith. But it's not supposed to be yours or mine or your neighbor's. It's the blood of Christ. Now, uh, just to begin with, let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you for your words. Father, we pray today, right now, as we approach the subject of the blood of your Son, who is our Lord Jesus, Father, that you would open the eyes of our spirits to see and to know and to grab hold of the reality and the truth of the power of his blood. Father, we pray from your word today that you will shine light in such a way that every one of us can see and have the firm foundation of what you have declared and made true, that that, that can come and gain entrance into our hearts and our lives. Father, I thank you that the entrance of your words gives us understanding. We pray just like Paul prayed that you give to every one of us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in knowing you. We thank you for the blood that we can come near and are brought near by the blood of Jesus. Pray for every one of us, Father, that we won't be those that follow you far off, but that we'll be those that draw close and draw near in full assurance of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Well, let's begin with our main scripture text for uh, this message, Faith in the Blood, uh, is Romans chapter 3, verse 25. Romans chapter 3, verse 25. I'm going to read first of all in the King James and then uh, the Passion. There's going to be a lot of Passion translation today, pretty much mostly Passion translation, who's ever doing the graphics back there. Uh, but I'm going to read uh, verse 25 in the King James. Who God set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, whom God has set to be the propitiation. Uh, if you look that up in the Greek, it actually means the mercy seat, and that's also reflected only two places in the New Testament, here in uh, Hebrews chapter 9. Uh, the mercy seat, that Jesus was set as a mercy seat, and it is through faith in his blood. Now let me give some context uh, from the Passion Translation. I'll begin reading in verse 21 of Romans chapter 3. 3 verse 21, but now independently of the law, the righteousness of God is tangible. That means you can touch it, you can experience it, and brought to light through Jesus, the anointed one. This is the righteousness that the scripture prophesied would come. It is God's righteousness made visible through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And now all who believe in him. Not the ones who do like an extra good job, but all who believe 
in Him. You don't do a lot of stuff. You just got to do one thing. Believe. Well, if you do the one thing, believe, the number two thing that some people that went to Bible school might be thinking about right now, which is don't have to believe and confess, if you really believe, you will confess. It kind of is part of believing. Because believing is actually uh, something that happens in your heart that's expressed because you believed it so much in your heart, it actually comes out through your actions. All right. I moved the note so I wouldn't see it. Oh, there it is. All right, the children can be... No, no, uh, we'll just have the children stay. We'll just have the children stay. Praise the Lord. It is God's righteousness made visible through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, and now all who believe in Him receive that gift. For there is really no difference between us. For all have sinned and are in need of the glory of God. Oh, let's make a confession. We like to make positive confessions, but we should also make real confessions. Say this. Say this after me. Say, I have sinned. sinned. (laughs) Well, I didn't say it. I have sinned. There you go. But glory to God. Are in need of the glory of God. Yet through his powerful declaration of acquittal, God freely, you know, because if you confess that you have sinned, that will set you free. Sometimes the greatest thing that is dominating you is pride. And that's the greatest hindrance to a greater and more intimate relationship with God and a greater understanding and greater blessing is because you're the one that's stopping it up because you're so perfect. You think. A confessions of sin is, is a, is a uh, deliverance from them. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, that's actually talking to believers. He is faithful and just. We'll, we'll finish the rest of that verse in a second. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. In other words, if you go tell an earthly priest a sin, they not, might not be faithful and just. And they might go tell a lot of people what you just did. They might go gossip about it. Who knows what they're going to do? Hopefully they don't. But he is faithful. In other words, when you miss it, he never does. And if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just. In other words, he's going to do the right thing to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Some people look like, well, I, because I'm, I'm a, I believe and, you know, I act in faith. I don't have to confess my sins. Well, you're right. You don't have to confess your sins. But if you don't want those things affecting your life, you need to confess your sins. 
If you actually read the context, I went through this with my children like four weeks ago or something. If you read the context there, it's actually talking about people struggling with pride. And the devil getting an advantage over the believer because they're struggling with pride. And he says in there, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. Why in the world would the Bible-believing church have uh, an issue with confessing sins? Well, I'll tell you one reason is because for years and years and years, uh, what was taught for many churches is uh, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, confess your sins, confess your sins. So then when people find out, that's not really the whole counsel of God on the matter. Because... I don't have time to go here, but I'll, I'll say this. Because when you're born again, you are not a sinner any longer. You may still sin, and that's why he said, if you sin, not when you sin. But what happens is, when people make a mistake and, and, and take something to one extreme that's not biblical, then sometimes we take it way back to the other extreme to try to correct it, and we create just as many problems just in a whole new area. So, you are a saint, but I have news for you. You have flesh that likes to sin. Well, you get in the presence of God, your flesh actually enjoys the presence of God. But you live outside the presence of God, your flesh enjoys a lot of other things. Anyhow, 1 John there talks about, you know, if we say don't, we, don't, we don't have sin, we're a liar, and the truth is not in us. That's talking to believers. In other words, all he's saying is, amongst many other things, because there's no end to the depth of what God has said and the ramifications of it. But what he's basically saying is, you're not perfect, but there is one that is perfect. And if you come to the perfect one, his perfection comes on you. It's, it's awesome. It's an awesome message. It's not because I said it, because he said it. For there is, in other words, I'm not liking it because I said it. I'm like because he said it. For there is really no difference between us, for we have all sinned and are in need of the glory of God. Yet through his powerful declaration of acquittal, God freely gives away his righteousness. His gift of love and favor now cascades over us because Jesus, the anointed one, has liberated us from the guilt, punishment, and power of sin. His gift of love, I'm reading that again, and favor, God's love and God's favor, now cascades over us all because Jesus, the anointed one, has liberated us from the guilt and punishment and power of sin. We have been liberated by Jesus from the guilt, the punishment, and the power of sin. Say, I have been liberated from the guilt, the punishment, and the power of sin. Sin no longer has power over me. Because of Jesus. Okay, verse 25. Jesus' God-given destiny was to be the sacrifice to take away sins. And now he is our mercy seat. Because of his death on the cross, we come to him for mercy. For God has made a provision for us to be forgiven 
by faith in the sacred blood of Jesus. Now, I don't like how they translated the word forgiven because that's actually not the correct uh, translation. Uh, King James has it better where it says remission because forgiven means, you know, I'm a, Gary's on the front, so he just gets to be picked on. Like you did something or I did something to you and he just forgives me, but he'll be like, you know, I forgave you, but I remember what you did. Or like I used to like to use a Jessica example because she uh, did a lot with historic building restoration. She helped us with one house we were looking at. We didn't end up buying, but that was an old, old house, and it had, I don't know, three or four or five layers of paint. So you could find out, you know, because if you do a, you want to get a, a loan for restoration, then you've got to restore it to the original colors of the time and all this stuff, right? So we were investigating the original cover, co- uh, colors because... The original colors had been forgiven over by other layers of paint. You know, I said they've forgiven over. They're painted over. They're still there. Nobody really could see that they're there. But if you did some digging, you could find them. This is not what Jesus did when he remitted or took away our sins. It's not like you can get down enough layers and find your sins. No. He totally removed them. They do not exist anymore. They are not connected to you anymore. They do not belong to you anymore. If someone counts it up, if you went to the highest court in the land, which is not the United States Supreme Court, but it is God's court in heaven, if you go to that court and you try to provide evidence and find evidence of the sins that you committed, if you have given them to Jesus they are remitted and removed from the true account of existence. They do not exist anymore. Hallelujah. Now someone may try to bring you a picture or a recording, audio or video, of the sins that you committed. Well, sometimes it's a family member who's extremely insecure, and so they want you to remember. Sometimes it's a well-meaning person who happens to be listening to the spirit of the devil. But if you go to the Word and into the presence of God, you will find they're not there. Well, I don't know about you, but I believe that God has more authority than the devil. I believe that God has more power than the devil. We come to him for mercy. For God has made a provision for us to be uh, forgiven, really should be remitted, our sins to be remitted by faith. In the sacred blood of Jesus. Right? So what I just talked about, that uh, removal of those sins. Again, don't get hung up by the word forgiven in passion because that's not how it is original. Original, it's the remission. I don't like how they translate that. Um, And um, so they're remitted, how? By faith in the sacred blood of Jesus. Through him, by faith in his blood, what, he, Christ becomes what? Our mercy seat. 
All right, for the sake of time, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to, uh, well, let me finish this and I'll do that. This is the perfect demonstration of God's justice because up till now, he had been so patient, holding back his justice out of his tolerance for us. So he covered over the sins of those who lived prior to Jesus' sacrifice. And when the season of tolerance came to an end, there was only one possible way for God to give away his righteousness and still be true to both his justice and his mercy. Isn't that a good translation? Because God has to be just, and he has to be merciful, and he has to be loving. All right? Otherwise, he ceases to be God. To offer up his own son, so now, because we stand on the faithfulness of Jesus, we stand on the faithfulness of Jesus, we stand on the faithfulness of Jesus. If you're sinking, you're not standing on the faithfulness of Jesus. The way we stand is on the, his faithfulness. Not our faithfulness, his faithfulness. The way we love is through His love, not our love, His love. You understand, like, this whole Christianity thing is about Him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. The Word says, let everyone in His temple say glory. Glory. Say it again. Glory. Say it again. Glory. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Mm. We're going to get to the right place. So now, because we stand on the faithfulness of Jesus, God declares us righteous in his eyes. Because we stand on the faithfulness of Jesus, he declares us righteous in his eyes. Actually, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, uh, we are made God's righteousness. It said, he, speaking of Jesus, who knew no sin. You and I have known sin, whether you admit it or not. And if you don't admit it, that's another sin. Okay. So, Brother Hank used to say, we'll have an altar call for liars afterwards come forward. Okay. So, it says, him, verse 21, who knew no sin, that's Jesus, was made to be sin. He didn't just take your sins. He was made to be your sins. Why? Because if he became sin, you became the righteousness of God in him. See, we're coming by the blood right? We're coming by the blood. And there's a standing joke with those that know me well, that if I see too much blood, I might pass out. And it's probably a true joke. So it's not a joke. It's maybe just a reality. So I don't like lots of copious amounts of blood, you know, you're like, wah. And so let me just say, if you walk into uh, an area where you don't know what's going on, and uh, maybe you, you would go to somebody's house for a bit, you know, and you, you there was like a pool of blood when you walked in the house. Well, people will have different reactions. Some people might pass out. Some people would like back out and call the police. And other people would like rush right in. Are you okay? Why? 
Well, because blood represents life. And so you know, like, someone's life might have been spilled. It might not just be a little bit of blood. That might be the very lifeblood. That might be like the, the, you know, the last amount. So we know that the life of someone is in the blood. And so the life of Christ is in his blood. And so his blood was spilled out for all of us. I mean, just look. I, of course, I was military, so I, I sometimes think military, but, you know, uh, not to be controversial, but, you know, the, the red lines on the flag represent the bloodshed. Okay. <laughs> so uh, we appreciate all of the blood that was shed so we could have the freedom that we have today. So people gave their lives so we could be free so we don't say, Heil Hitler. You understand that? Because he wanted to rule the world. And uh, his was not in righteousness and justice, obviously. Demonic. Evil. And so um, people gave their lives for that. Well, Christ gave up his life so that we could have life that really is life. Eternal life that only comes from God, that has no regrets and, and no, um, uh, no sin. So let's turn over uh, to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. I'm going to uh, begin reading in verse 1 if I have time. Well, I want to talk to you for a second. You guys know like... Um, there's two covenants in the Bible, Old Covenant, New Covenant, called Two Testaments, Old Testament, New Testament, right? So you usually see in the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, like a lot about the blood, a lot about the blood. And um, there, you know, they had a, a, a tabernacle or a temple where the presence of God was at. And the presence of God wasn't just for anybody, but it was just held up in that temple. And so in that temple, um, there was like an outer court and an inner court, and then there was like a, the holy place and the most, the most holy place. So um, the most holy place was 35 feet wide, and this is in Solomon's temple, because they had different sizes at different times. So uh, in Solomon's time, it was 35 feet wide by 35 feet deep by 35 feet high. So I have Brandon measure for me during service. So this is 30 feet wide, so you add five more feet, and then back, right in front of the sound booth, if you know Bill, by Bill, uh, that's 35 feet back. So this is like the most holy place. So you all might want to come up. No, I'm kidding. Um, so, so this is like the same size, basically, as the most holy place. So the priests would go throughout, you know, the year, and they'd go into the holy place, not the most holy place, not this 35 by 35 uh, cube, you know, because it was in every direction. And so, uh, but they'd be in the, in the other place where the showbread were and the candles and all this stuff, and they would worship the Lord there. But once a year, and the presence of God is not there, the presence of God is here. <laughs> and so, um, once a year, one man could go in there, and it was the high priest, and him only. And uh, he had to go, when he came in, he had to bring a sacrifice of a bull for his sins and his own family's sins. And then he had to bring a sacrifice, another sacrifice for the sins of the people. 
And so they called that the Day of Atonement. So this is the day of the year that sins are atoned for, and the sins are really what we talked about a minute ago, covered up. Because they still exist, but they were just covered. Right? So I got your back. They're covered. Till next year. (laughs) And you have to go year after year, right? And you have to present yourself to the priest. The priest goes in. Well, so the the priest would go into that that, uh, most holy place, and tradition tells us that they would tie like a rope around his ankle uh, with bells uh, because only the high priest could go in there under a penalty of death and fear of death. And so they're like, well, if he doesn't do everything right, you know, he, he might just die in that place. And nobody can go in and get him. So if we stop hearing the bell, we're tugging on the rope. I thank God that that's not what I'm doing. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So, so this was quite a place. Well, what was in this place? Well, one of the things that was in this place was the Ark of the Covenant. Never seen Indiana Jones, you know? Yeah. All right, so it was the Ark of the Covenant. And so in the Ark of the Covenant uh, were the Ten Commandments, the law that Moses had received on the mountain from God. And then uh, there was a little gold jar with manna in it. Remember, God fed them by manna in the wilderness, right? Manna from heaven. And then also there was Aaron's rod that budded, right? So Aaron's rod, you know, uh, Aaron's rod is what was used. uh, You know, Moses is like, you know, Lord, I can't really speak very well, so... Moses didn't get the privilege of doing this because God told him you can speak. That's a whole other sermon, okay? But then he's like, well, Aaron, who's going to speak? Well, Aaron, have Aaron speak for you. So Aaron speaks. But also Aaron's rod is what parted the Red Sea. Aaron's rod, like thing after thing after thing. You see it was Aaron's rod that did this. And then um, Aaron's rod uh, became a snake. And when the, the, the evil ones made their rods into snakes, then Aaron's rod ate their snakes up, right? And so... Um, and then uh, there was like some conten- contention because this man named Korah started like uh, saying like, how do we know that Aaron and Moses are supposed to lead us? Maybe it's someone else and, you know, it needs to be our tribe and this. And so, you know, uh, the, the Lord told him, uh, you know, okay, have every tribe write their name on their staff and then bring all the staffs together. And whichever staff, leave them overnight, whichever staff buds, that is the staff of the man that I want to lead. Okay, so this is how Aaron's, you know, staff budded. So, but it didn't just bud. It, it, it grew, and it grew leaves and buds and flowers, and it actually grew almonds. So, like, undeniably, he was elected. No. So, undeniably, this is the man that God has chosen, Aaron. So, this rod is in the ark. Okay, And over the ark, there's a lid. And on this lid, there's two cherubim with wings held back like this over, like one side and then like the other side, right? And so this place where these uh, wings come together is where the priest would sprinkle blood. And this is the place where the glory or the presence of God would show up. It's called the mercy seat the mercy seat. And so the mercy seat is where the presence of God is at, right? 
So remember, Romans 3.25, Jesus is our mercy seat through faith in his blood. Right? So Jesus is where God shows up through faith in the blood of Jesus, right? So in this place, on this mercy seat, the blood was sprinkled. I find it just very interesting that you actually have the law of God there. And you realize you have like the manna of God. Do you know who else was called the manna of God or the bread of God from heaven? Jesus Christ. And there was quite a battle about that with the Pharisees. Right? Oh, we don't have time to go into that today. We'll probably get to that part next week. So, because there's a whole, in, in a John chapter 6, there's a whole discussion about this. And even about um, the ark and all of that. And it's very interesting. So now, having laid that groundwork, let's read Hebrews chapter 9, uh, beginning in verse 1. Now, in the first covenant, there were specific rules for worship, including a sanctuary on earth to worship in. When you entered the tabernacle, you first came to the holy chamber where you'd find the lampstand and the bread of his presence on the fellowship table. Then as you passed through the next curtain, you would enter the innermost chamber called the holiest sanctuary of all. It contained the golden altar of incense, the Ark of the Covenant of Mercy, which <clears throat> was a wooden box covered entirely with gold and placed inside the Ark of the Covenant uh, Mercy was the golden jar with mystery manna inside, Aaron's resurrection rod, which had sprouted, and the stone tablets engraved with the covenant laws. On top of the lid of the ark were two cherubim, angels of splendor, with outstretched wings overshadowing the throne of mercy. But now is not the time to discuss further the significant details of these things. He must have also had a time limit. <laughs> so with this prescribed pattern of worship, the priest would routinely go in and out of the first chamber to perform the religious, religious duties, and the high priest was permitted to enter in the holiest sanctuary of all only once a year, and he could never enter without first offering sacrificial blood for both his own sins and the sins of the people. Now the Holy Spirit uses the symbols of this pattern of worship to reveal the perfect way of holiness. <clears throat> Excuse me, to reveal that the perfect way of holiness had not yet been unveiled. For as long as the tabernacle stood, it was an illustration that pointed to our present time of fulfillment, demonstrating that the offerings and animal sacrifices had failed to perfectly cleanse the conscience of the worshiper. So they were doing this, but they still had a guilty conscience. You ever have somebody forgive you, but you didn't forgive yourself? It's sometimes just as much or more bondage than them not forgiving you. <clears throat> For this old pattern of worship was a matter of external rules and rituals concerning food and drink and ceremonial washings, which was imposed upon us until the appointed time of heart restoration arrived. But now the anointed one has become the king priest of every wonderful thing that has come. For he serves in a greater, more perfect heavenly tabernacle not made by men. And he has entered once and forever into the holiest sanctuary of all, not with the blood of animal sacrifices, but the sacred blood of his own sacrifice. And he alone has made our salvation secure forever. 
you get this picture like every year, every year, every year, every year. So he's like, you know, I'm going in, but I'm not taking the blood of these animals. I'm taking my own blood, and my own blood has such power and perfection, it'll happen once for all time. Under the old covenant, the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer were sprinkled on those who were defiled and effectively cleansed them outwardly from their ceremonial impurities. Yet how much more will the sacred blood of the Messiah thoroughly cleanse our consciences? For the power of the eternal spirit has offered himself to God as the perfect sacrifice that now frees us from our dead works to worship and to serve the living God. So Jesus is the one who's enacted a new covenant with a new relationship with God so that those who accept the invitation will receive the eternal inheritance he has promised to his heirs. For he died to release us from the guilt of the violations committed under the first covenant. I'm going to pause there and just read verse 14 from King James. How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The blood of Jesus and faith in his blood will purge your conscience. God wanted us in the most holy place. The holy place, the most holy place, is where God reveals himself. Do you know, like, in this, this, like, so I'm talking about the most holy place up here, you know? I'm not saying up here, but all the way back there. So this most holy place, there were no windows on the most holy place. There were no candles in the most holy place. How could they see what they were doing under that they might die if they did it wrong? How could they see? Does anybody know how they could see? The glory of God was the light. What does that sound like? Revelation? That in that new city, the sun does not light it? The moon does not light it? The sun, S-O-N, lights that city. So, in the most holy place where God is at, you don't need natural understanding or natural illumination. You have God himself lighting up the place and giving you understanding. And so Jesus gives us access to the very presence of God through his blood. And the holy place is where God would reveal himself but that was only in the presence of blood. And so uh, in John chapter 4, the woman at the well of Samaria is saying, like, how are we supposed to worship, you know? And she's like, Jesus came up, and he's like, can you, uh, you know, get me water? And she said, well, or, uh, he, she asked him about water, and he said, well, I could give you water where you'd never have to come draw again. And she's like, are you greater than Jacob who dug the well? And he's like, just a little. Well, that's what he talked about worship. He said, they, they that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. He's saying, like, this presence of God is actually going to come out of this earthly temple, and it's going to come into the hearts of everyone that believes. 
and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And so in the holy place is where God can show Himself to you. And the holy place, the way you get to the holy place is with the blood of the Lamb of God, the blood of Christ. And when you take the blood of Christ and you enter into that holy place, you actually get into the presence of God. So Jesus died so that it wouldn't be, we don't all have to go to Jerusalem. On the Temple Mount, which they don't have access to right now, and go to some thing that people made, but we could actually go into the literal presence of God, and the literal presence of God comes into your heart and my heart when we believe on Jesus Christ. So God's plan was that in your heart would be the most holy place. And that from your heart, you would meet with God in that most holy place. That no matter where you think about it, if you've got to go to Jerusalem, well, actually, you cannot go to Jerusalem right now because of COVID. And you're a foreigner. Okay, so you can't even go to the presence of God if it was there. It's not, but if it was. Well, I don't really care. Like some people travel for business. Well, I got to go here, I got to go there, so I can't be there. Well, you can't be around God. You can't be around the things of God. You can't be around perfection. You can't be around deliverance. You can't be around provision. But Jesus came to live on the inside of the believer. And the most holy place becomes your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Who you have from God and you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body and with your spirit, which are the Lord's. Second Corinthians chapter 6, right? And so we have become the temple of God himself. And so you can be in a meeting with a bunch of other people who are saying a bunch of horrendous things and right there be in the most holy place with God. People attacking you, people lying about you, people doing all kind of crazy stuff. But the plan of God is that we live in that most holy place. We live with the consciousness of God, with the consciousness of His power, with the consciousness. We live at the mercy seat. So you see, like, if you sin, He's faithful and just to forgive you. But if you live at the mercy seat, you don't need mercy if you didn't sin and mess up. So you can actually live at the place where the blood of Christ was shed for you. Right? The mercy seat of God. Stand with me if you would. Stand with me. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Maybe you're here this morning with every head bowed, every eye closed, or you're online. You've joined us in person or electronically. And maybe you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. There is no satisfaction in life that compares with knowing Him. When you know Him... Everything takes its proper place and has its proper perspective. The only way you can come to God is by His Son, Jesus Christ. He knows everything that you've done. The good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful. When we just read in Romans chapter 3, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. One translation says, Christ died for the ungodly. If you feel 
Like, that's me. I'm ungodly. I've sure messed up. The Bible says Christ died for you. Jesus said it's not the, the healthy that need a physician, it's the sick. Jesus is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And he is the only way to God himself. There's no other way. There's no other uh, prophet. There's no other religious uh, individual that can get you to God. Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only way. Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood to take away your sins and my sins to give you access and me access. We don't, you, you, you can't come to God because you've done enough good things. So I'm going to ask everyone that can hear me right now, examine your heart. Is your heart right with God? If you were to die today, do you know where you'd be? Do you know where you'd go? You can know today. And the way that you know is you know him. As many as received Jesus, to them he gave the right to be the children of God. Romans chapter 10 says, If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and say with your mouth or confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. With the heart you believe and with the mouth you make confession or you declare. Yep, that's what I believe. Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you'd like to do that, I'd like you to, if you're watching online, I think there's a button you can raise your hand or in person here you can raise your hand. We'd love to pray with you and for you. Uh, you'll receive the life of Christ. The thing that sustains Christ and God himself will sustain you. Uh, you get like an eternity living in your heart. You can receive Jesus. He loves you. He paid the price for you. In just a minute, I'm going to pray a prayer, and uh, those that are believers can pray the prayer with me. And if you'd like to be a believer, you can pray that prayer with us. Just dedicate and give the lordship of your life to Jesus Christ. You say, you're saying, I'm not going to live for myself anymore. You're saying, I'm going to let Jesus be the Lord of my life. His yoke is easy and his burdens light. You can kind of kick against the pricks for years and years and years and get nothing but a bunch of thorns. I just encourage you, just respond to what the Spirit of God is doing in your heart, how He's moving on your heart. He loves you. He's not trying to hurt you. He's trying to help you and set you free. You'll know him, and knowing him is freedom. There is freedom in Christ. Let me pray for you before we uh, pray with those who want to be born again. Father, we pray right now for every person under the sound of our voice. Father, we thank you for your spirit that he convinces us of sin, that he convinces us of the lordship of Jesus. We look to him right now to move upon every one that's not a believer and even upon the believers that need to come back, those that need to get serious about your things and your kingdom. In Jesus' name.
All right, I'm going to pray a prayer, and I want you to pray this with me. Say, oh, God, I believe that Jesus Christ is your son, that he died on the cross to take away my sins. I believe that you raised him up on the third day to make me right with you. Jesus, I receive you right now as my Lord and as my Savior. I'm going to live for you instead of me. In your name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer, Christ just came to live on you. You've been recreated in Christ Jesus. I'd love to get your name so we can be praying for you, get you some materials. It's the best day of the rest of your life, actually the rest of eternity. Uh, you've been taken from darkness and put into light. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So if you would just fill out the form or send us an email, info at anchordc.org, we, we'd love to get, uh, be a, a, a support and a supply to you. And um, let's just pray right now. Uh, Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus and that we, we come by the blood. Father, we pray for family members who don't know you. Father, we pray that you'd send men and women, young and old, across their path with your word that will deliver them with your word that will bring light and revelation. Father, with your word that will bring the gospel message that they can grab hold and never let go. Father, I thank you for the precious blood of Jesus. Father, look at them according to your blood. Deal with them according to the blood of Jesus. Thank you for every opportunity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.